Today's episode is part two with Scott Peters, who is now the assistant offensive line coach for the Cleveland Browns. And on today's podcast, we focus on things like leverage. What is leverage? Does the low man always win? How do you teach contact across every position with a universal language? And Scott addresses all those things as well as some issues with different types of equipment you might use to teach contact. And he's really thought all this stuff out very well. And I think it's useful for everybody at every level to listen to this. There's some resources we'll share at the end. Uh, We do have a free course that we'll give you on CoachTube, which is from Scott's associate, Mike Pollock, who also played in the NFL. Look in the show notes for that. Keith, let me ask you this. I asked this at the Cool Clinic a few years back. It was actually my first clinic. I never even told those guys. (laughs) I never told. They asked me to speak at it. I didn't know (laughs) how big it was. I was just a former player. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I got in front of about a room of 500 coaches, NFL and college. And one of the things I wanted to ask, and it was just something I had heard all the time. It's something I think everybody can agree with. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Is The word leverage. I mean, how many times have you used and heard that word? And I've heard it a million times. I've used it. And I, re- I just remember thinking when a coach always uses it, when they, when they use the word, it's, it's seldom do they ever define it. It's usually to describe a win. Look at this guy. He plays with leverage. But I never knew what that meant. So, so I'm asking for a definition. What the hell is leverage? And, and how do I you know, repeat that? How do I replicate that and consistently over time? I want to play with leverage all the time because coach tells me I need to play with leverage, right. but he never told me what it is. You know? So I think that's, those are things that I've looked at. And, and that's what the blast, the blast, there's a great video. We did put together a lot of great videos on that. And it's just, it's, it touches on things that I think coaches are afraid to ask. Because it's like this, if you go graduate, this is my analogy, and, and I'm guilty of this. We all are, I think. It's just because we go through the ranks and you, you kind of have these assumptions that there's that some questions aren't you shouldn't ask. And, and one of those questions is, is, what is leverage? Coach, you said to use leverage. What is that? Well, and, and some of the answers you get, well, you just gotta, you got to want it more. you got to hit the guy harder. you gotta get <laughs> got to get in the weight room. And that's, not, that's, not, that's, a, that's kind of a sidestep of, of the answer. So by answering and, and really going back to some of these root, fundamental uh, roots, you know, and saying, well, what is, what is leverage? And, and why are we talking about something? We have these buzzwords in football. It'd be like this. Here's, a, here's the analogy. You go, you go to school and you get, you'd find yourself an advanced uh, calculus course, but you never really figured out arithmetic. You don't know how to do basic, you know, you know, uh, borrowing and, and, and stuff like that. Well, you, you're already at that level. You're not going to ask your teacher about something that, that may have preceded it. It's a bit more elementary. So when you get high level coaches and many of these guys never played the game. So, you know, that's, that's another issue is they don't, they never played the game. They're very, they're, they're great critics. They can point out things, but they're not real good at, they're not real clear about what they want. And uh, they're not clear number one about what they want. And they're very seldom clear about, you know, how to correct things. So it's usually just, you got to want it more types uh, type stuff. That's another, another issue leading to, to this, these injuries. And, and it's a lack of, it goes back to lack of information, but, but, uh, but, but you got to be clear with people and say, Hey, here's how it is. And then you got to drill it. You can't just tell someone how to do it. You got to make this a habit because um, that's just how we learn as humans. I mean, it's it bench press. I talk about that on a, a lot of occasion, a lot of occasions. So this might sound crazy to some of you guys, but I'm going to explain it. Bench press is the single leading cause of head contact in football. And you're going to say, well, well how the hell is, is that true? Right. <laughs> well, if you look at the mechanics of bench, bench is like, you know, it's like religion. Everybody does it. Uh, it's something that's, you know, very deeply ingrained. It's a tradition. And it's, it's honestly a very uh, ineffective movement. It's, in fact, it's, it's highly detrimental. And here's why. 
if you kind of visualize this, you're on the, you're on a bench and, and you got, a, you got an Olympic bar and a straight bar and your elbows, you know, your thumbs are in and your elbows are out. There's no other way to hold that bar. So when you're pressing that weight you, and you do that over time, let's say in the off season, you do that 3000 times as a, I'm just making up a number. But if you're doing that bench press movement 3000 times, you've developed some, some neuro, uh, neurological movement patterns, neuromuscular movement patterns that, that just are inherent. So what happens is you get the, the kid, the same kid, and then you put him in spring football and a mini camp or whatever it is. And he gets maybe what, 300 times. He, is he doing reps with his elbows inside? Now you're right. trying, you're trying to take him and put his elbows in. Well, you're going to have a hard time because once you put that, that player in a fight or flight scenario where pads are on, where it's, you know, you're kind of going to that fight, flight or flee mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, guess what you're going to do? Your, your coach could be screaming at you, throwing his hat. He can go crazy, tell you to get your elbows in, but you're not going to do it. You can't do it. And it's because you've developed these default movement patterns with bench press that are not conducive to, 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 he- to striking and delivering and sustaining force with the hand. Because when your hands or elbows are flared out, oh, that's collapsible. And I, and I can tell you that firsthand because I was, like I said, I benched six, uh, about 600 pounds as a player. So a guy that benches that much, you would think, well, no problem. I can go up to a linebacker that weighs half my, you know, weighs 50 pounds lighter than me, and I can just hit it with my hands, and he's going to just vaporize. Well, that's not the truth because of the mechanics involved. So by bench pressing, you're number one, you're building a lot of mass, which is good. You want to have armor around your joints, but you want to do it in the right areas. And and, it, and it, honestly, it, it develops that movement pattern where sometimes you get too bulky and you can't, you can't keep your uh, operate with the right posture. So you're really compromising force. You're compromising your, your, your effectiveness on the field in exchange for some, which, which is a meathead lift, you know, it's how much you bench, man. It's, it's, <laughs> it's always been that, that's that case. So I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't bench. I'm not going to tell people not to do it. What I'm going to tell people to do is if you're going to do 3000 reps in the off season of bench press, then do 5,000 reps of hand fighting in between those sets. So you can offset those things, right? You want to, you want to do, you want to do things that are going to promote the right stuff. And really in an optimal, perfect world, we wouldn't do it because it doesn't translate. To, it doesn't correlate to anything on the field. The only time you press somebody on the field is when, when you're on your back. So if you want to get good at that, then make a habit of it. But, but really uh, we, the pressing is not, we don't have a bench press to draw from. We only have the ground. And so we have to, you know, tie that whole kinetic chain in and bench press connects the chain and it leads to head contact. For me, having been an English teacher, I'd go back to, okay, well, it has to do with a lever, right? But right. I, and I've seen you debunk this, so I'll, I'll throw this one out there and I'm sure you get this answer a lot. Well, it's, it's low man wins, right? So you got to get lower than the other guy. How do you feel about that? Well, that, that's a great point. Um, the low man wins thing is, is universally t- believed. I mean, most people think that that's just another buzzword we've, we've heard and, and it's, it's insanity. It doesn't, it's not true. It's not the, it's not the low pad level. It is not the height of the helmet. In fact, it's, it's, that doesn't, that's irrelevant other than you can get too low. The whole point is that, yeah, you, you brought up levers to get scientific. The, the fulcrum is, is the, is the center point where you're going to, you, know, you want to achieve lift and that's the hips. So the hips are really the, the level and trajectory of the ascension of the hips that that should be lower, but, but the helmet is extracted back as the hips come through. When, when you, let's say you're blocking a guy on a, on a three technique for offensive linemen. You're a guard. You're blocking a three technique on a base block. If you look at if you look at guards and you look at the NFL, actually, I'm gonna I'll take guards out of this. Let's look at all five offensive line positions. I hear coaches say this all the time, and I, I talk about this with McNally a lot. You've heard the expression uh, "high cut players," right? Yep. So, so for those of you that don't haven't heard that, a high cut player is what a coach is defining uh, describing as a player that has long legs and and you know usually long arms. The problem with a long legged player is that he has a higher fulcrum. So it's very hard for him to get that fulcrum or his hips underneath the, the defender. 
So if you look at the average Pro Bowl player in the NFL, I did a study myself on this, just looked at him over the last several years. The average Pro Bowler in the NFL is just a hair uh, higher, taller than six foot three. So that's pretty interesting because if you look at the tackles, the average tackle is about six, five and a half that made the Pro Bowl. But everybody, so that means that we've got guys that are under six, three that are in that mix. Why? Well, you know, maybe it's because they have a lower fulcrum and maybe they have long, they have long arms and they have, and that's another thing. They have long arms, but short legs, like built like a caveman. I've done this myself. I, my, I'm six foot four and I've got pretty long arms. I'm not even sure what the, I think about 34. Does that, does that sound right? I don't know. They're pretty long, but that's, it's about average for the pro bowlers. Guys have long arms. They can, they can touch you from a distance, but they can get underneath you. It's like a caveman build. And I have a 32 inch inseam. So my arms are like longer than my legs. <laughs> so if you look at like the guys that play, at the highest level. And these are guys, I mean, I played in college and you see guys that, that were like phenom athletes. They looked the part, but then they didn't, they didn't make it. Then you see guys that made it and go, and I, I find one thing in common, show me a six foot five offensive lineman. And I'll show you a six foot five offensive lineman with short legs. If he makes it, if he, if he plays in the NFL, he's going to have a, a short inseam, probably a 32 inch inseam. And, and you should, and that's something we don't talk about. Um, the guys with high cut, the high cut players, they can't get underneath people with their, their fulcrum and the low, low pad, uh, the low man wins uh, thing is, is actually just leading to head contact and poor posture, but it doesn't initiate movement because it doesn't allow for the hips to come through. If you, if you, if you can kind of visualize this sitting there, like crouch over, lean over, get as low as you can with your head, like leaning forward and then try to bring your hips through. It's just nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. So that's why people are, uh, you know, this, this, this whole idea has, is, is another, uh, you know, there's many moving parts here, but it's, it's again, going back and revisiting all these, these old, these old mindsets and saying, well, why are, why did we say that? You know, I know how it is. It's a culture thing. People say they, they repeat what they learned and, and did. Well, this is because we did it this way when I was doing it. We have to revisit that and ask questions. Why? It's simple. Why? Why do we do? Why does the low man win? And show me, show me examples of that. Because I'll show you examples of a guy that, that, you know, I could, I could take a guy off the ball that's 350 pounds and I'm only 265. If that guy's coming at me with his head, I'm just going to deflect that force reroute him by lifting. And my hips, it's very easy. You don't have to, it doesn't take, I mean, I'm not saying it's entirely easy if you've got a guy that knows what he's doing, but you're, you're, you're operating with your best stuff. You're using, like I said, your nukes and you're, you know, as opposed to small arms fire, you're out there with your, your head and your hands and you're trying to push people and use your triceps. No, we want to use our hips and that can only happen with the feet behind and uh and if the hips can kind of generate that ascension and, and catch underneath the guy to deflect his uh his momentum and then that's how that's how you can win but um these things yeah that's a great point you brought up about the low man wins so we, we've got some videos on youtube if you guys want to check that out we, we debunk that and uh it's it's great stuff because it's just it kind of makes forces people to rethink everything yeah i'll put those links in our our show notes one more question for you on the offensive line piece of this. And I, I do want to talk a little bit. I know you guys are doing stuff out of that. So this applies to other positions as well. But um, I know we talked about other implements like the shoots and the boards. How do you feel about using sleds to teach all of this? Okay, so sleds, sleds by and large are, are not, you know, I'm going to say, I'm not going to say that they're all bad. But if you look at the, the one thing you got to look at is, is what are we trying to do? Again, does it correlate to the movements we're trying to, to, to generate on the field? When you hit a sled, most of them are just heavy steel. They sit there on the field, they rot, they, nobody moves them. And they're kind of just punishment tools for coaches, uh, for players. You know, you get out there, all right, hit the sled. But what, what's wrong with the sled? That the, the average sled, if you ever look at the dimensions, you ever seen those? They're, they're like big blocks. Right. And they're square. They're completely flat. So it's like you're hitting the side of a, of a, of a door. And, yeah, and unfortunately, player, that's, right. that's, yeah. And I'm going, so so here's something to think about. So take a look at Vince Wilfork comes to mind when I think about like a massive human being. Wilfork, you know, whether you, you know, if you can visualize this, even Wilfork has a cylinder shaped torso. 
he's not flat like us, but his, the handles that we want to connect with the chest plate, the breastplate on the shoulder pads, that's the, that should be about the width of, of anything, any surface we're striking, if not more narrow, because I find that if you, if you kind of, if you practice with a narrow, with narrow hand positioning, even more narrow than you want to achieve in a game, well, you're going to get there in the game. But if you go wider, like you're doing, think about it. I, I got to tell you, sleds are causing CTE in many ways, because what are they doing? If you're using a sled and that's, that's, I can easily defend that position because here's the thing. The average sled is about 32 inches in, in uh, you know, it's about 24 to 38. Some of these things, that's about 24 inches in, in width and they're flat. So where do you put your hands? And you have, usually you have a picture of a, a player's face mask right out in front. Well, that's mm-hmm. the contact point. So you go head to head with there. So where do your hands go? Well, if they're wide, well, clearly you can't, you know, just try it. It's impossible to transfer force. You're not going to move that sled or a human being with your hands outside the framework of your body. So any sled that, that, that has a, a, a face that's wider than the breastplate of a player is useless to me. And in fact, it's detrimental. And then the other thing you got to look at is if the sled only works and operates on a horizontal plane, so you're pushing, it's kind of like pushing a car. Pushing cars, I used to push cars because I used to think that somehow helped me. But you never, your hips never, you're never engaging your hips when you're pushing a car. You're, you're just literally driving. So that's the, the old paradigm. Yeah. So, so the sleds that we, when we're blocking a sled, we have to look at, we have to look at the dimensions. You got to wonder, we got to ask ourselves, uh, you know, does the surface of contact as a striking area reflect exactly that of, of what a player's chest plate is? Um, if it's wider than that, then don't use it because all that's doing is promoting uh, promoting head head contact and poor posture of the hands, so you're you're making players worse, and then you're taking away uh, chipping away at their brain, which is not necessary. Um, and then the, the other thing is the uh, does it allow for the hips to lift? So some of these sleds are okay. I, I don't have one off the top of my head, but if they have a tight if they have a tight spacing for the hands and they allow the player to then strike and then lift, that's 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 probably the best of all. I mean, but but most of the sleds unfortunately are not like that. So when we go out, and we do coaches clinics uh, around the country. We we always end up, you know, kind of leaving coaches. They're very excited about the information, but at the same time, they're like kind of left. Like, what the hell do I do with my sled? I go, oh, you can repurpose it. You can make it a, <laughs> you can figure out a way to, you can sell the steel. You can do, or you can maybe modify the, the padding because, you know, in, in the end, this is the kind of thing we have to revisit. And, and again, I'm wondering myself, well, are, who is designing these things? They're not football guys, you know? And, and I think you got to ask that and you got to look at the things you're using and, and do they, or do they not help you yield the result you're trying to achieve? achieve on the field and does it is it consistent with the teachings of, of you know of, of the op, of the best ways to, to block or to engage contact it, if they're not then you got to scratch that stuff you got to throw it away regardless of what it costs you just call it a loss yeah, and yeah exactly yeah. i had i had a coach this past you know the head coach this, this past season and he's never coached offense in his life he said we need to hit the sleds more i said well why <laughs> just i mean he yeah. didn't have an answer i mean he you know, it's a guy. Yeah, it's the whole hamster wheel mindset. You know, and you see that, too, with coaches in, in the NFL and college. And they, they get this idea that if I work more hours then I'm a better coach. Well, that's not true. I mean, you could it's like running, you know, if you're running, you're running in circles like hamsters. Are they getting anywhere? No, not in a hamster wheel. You're, you're working hard, but you're not achieving anything. So it's it's just kind of like looking at like what is the with with limited time constraints or time constraints that have been handed down on contact practices and opportunities to do you know to develop players. You got to really get creative and you got to get innovative and then you got to be really really efficient. Mm-hmm. You got to look at what you're trying to do. Yeah. And I think that's what need that's what I'm calling for guys to do. And and we're not just saying to do that. I mean we we outline that in very de- in, in extreme detail. 
And, and that's why it's a little different with what, what, what say football does. We, uh, we get into the minutia and it's not like it's, it's overwhelming. It's just, it's common sense, it's logical, but here's how to do it. So you can take this. We're trying to teach people how to fish. Okay. We're not just saying, Hey, you got to follow everything we do. We got to, here are things that work. We know these are true. Become the coach you want to be still utilize, you know, you have your own thoughts and you can innovate and improvise. You're the leadership, but, but, but here's some basic principles to think about. And, and quite frankly, we have to do that, you know, at this point, otherwise the old school mindset, because I see guys all the time. Well, I won, I won 14 state championships doing it this way. Well, coach, you know, whether you agree that concussions are bad or not, or CTE is a problem, it is a problem because it's affecting participation. Right. Nobody wants, none of these coaches want to want any more regulatory measures handed down because it's really eroding the game. The game can still be physical. It can be a violent game. It can maintain the integrity and the tenants that made it great, but you just take away the one ingredient that's causing problems and that's head contact. And that's actually a detriment to the performance. end. so it's really, it's just a, it's something that, that we're, and I appreciate all the things you're doing on this, Keith, because you've been out there outspoken on it with the, with the podcast, you're just trying to promote a higher level of uh, advancement in technique. And that's what has been eroded. And, and I think it has to do with all the, all the things we mentioned that, you know, the NFL is a business. They're the top, it's a top down approach. Everybody emulates what they see up there, you know, colleges see what the NFL guys do. They do that. Uh, the same is true down the, down the chain. So we have to start from the bottom up and, uh, and no one wants to do that. Like, you know, I, I'm, I like going and doing high level football techniques and, cl- and clinics with NFL and college guys. And, uh, but you know, it, but, uh, but I love kids and, you know, I was one of those kids and everyone that played in the NFL started out just like these kids have started out and they need to be taught the right way. You know, so I think I think all that aside, the things that you're doing, I really do applaud you for it because it, it's awareness on this subject, and and you're and you're trying to bring out the best in people, and that's that's what we're trying to do as well. The paradigm, you know, you, you mentioned that word. It's a paradigm that we have to shift here. You know, at one time, the best way to move the ball was a flying wedge. Well, you know, people were dying, so <laughs> right. okay, it might have been effective, but it wasn't safe. And it's it's those two standards right. I really believe. Like, is it safe? Is it effective? And it has to meet both of those. I mean. It if it's not, then we're, we're doing a disservice to our players and we're doing a disservice to the game and we're going to continue. Like you said, there's going to be people who get involved, politicians will get involved in, in regulating how much practice time we have. It's already happening. And I know, you know, right. uh, I know your feelings on that, too. Uh, moving this forward, because we've talked so much about the offensive line and obviously that that is a place where there's a lot of these repetitive hits. But talk a little bit about the other positions on the field and how safe football works to improve technique and safety there as well. Yeah, you know, we, we do talk about offensive line and we've been labeled by coaches that haven't really gotten into our program as just a group that does, oh, well, this more of a lineman thing. Well, no, it isn't. It's But if you want to learn how to um, you know, you want to learn a specific trade, then it's, it's, you got to like, look at a group that's, that specializes and, and, and contact is, is our specialty at the offensive line position. So you can, you know, if you, I think if you go across America and you say, Hey coach, uh, how would it, how, you know, how do you think your team would improve if, if your receivers were really like lights out on the perimeter on their blocking? Well, how many, show me a team that has that most, most of the time the, the receivers don't, they're, they're not really learning how to, how to properly engage a cornerback or how to take away that perimeter. And so the best guys do, but, but it takes time and it's not a focal point. So we teach the same principles, but we, we apply it. If you break down offensive and defensive players and really anybody on the field for that matter, what are the defenders really? And when you break it down to the basics, the, the offensive player, let's talk about the run game Every, in the gap. Everyone has a gap defensively. So the cornerback has a gap. He's got to make sure that the, that, you know, if the ball comes through the, you know, on the perimeter and he's, he's able to maintain his positioning. Well, 
what do you what do you do what do you have to do if a player is trying to take away your gap? Well, he's trying to soften your shoulder, right? So if I'm a guard or I'm a, a full, I'll say I'm a fullback now. I'm a lead back and I'm blocking a linebacker on an outside run. Okay, so if the ball is trying to enter outside of me on the perimeter run, then I want to I want to take away that outside shoulder. I want to soften that outside shoulder of the man to prevent him from spilling over the top or making a play. So it's all about shoulder control. Same for a defensive line. If I'm a defensive lineman, I'm trying to sh- control the shoulder, the play side shoulder of the of the of the lineman that's trying to block me and take away my ability to, to protect my gap. So really, if you break it down in, in the simple terms like that, it, everybody's got the same objective in a way. There's slightly different approaches to that. But when you look at like cornerbacks, they, you know, they're, they do a lot of things that they could be improved upon. They're not teaching cornerbacks how to effectively jam, you know, and press coverage. And so we teach, we teach corners how to engage stock blocks. We teach uh, receivers how to, how to stock block. We teach them how to block down or, or crack block. We teach them different types of blocking applications that are very similar to the ones that we're teaching linemen for blocking. We teach uh, shoulder contact. We teach all that stuff. We break them down into fit. So the way our program works, it's, we're, we're not just saying, hey, it's, it's defensive backs. We're saying, hey, here, here's defensive. Defensively, we want to play long. We want to engage with full extension of the arms. We call those the, pill, the pillar because a pillar is a straight, uh, it's a structural support that's straight. And it's only strong because it's straight. So we teach the, the defense, defensive players how to use the double pillar and the single pillar. Uh, the long arm is one of those things. It's, it's the number one pass rush in football. It's, it's devastating. It's extremely strong if it's landed straight. Uh, again, goes back to that, that we've got to get away from that pressing mindset. Offensively, when we're blocking, we want to have a bend in the elbows because that that's uh, conducive to lift. But we're not bending. We're not going to keep our, our hands like T-Rex hands. We're going to have a slight bend, and we're going to come, and all that force is generated and transferred from the hips. When it comes to shoulder contact, that could be in the form of a tackle. It could be in the form of a lead block or a pull or a trap. It could be uh, engaging a blocker, usually at, with, with at high speed. So we teach guys how to, how to put their body in position to do that. And that's universal. So th- those, are, those are like the level one curriculum for, say, football. And, and really, if you can get everybody on the field versed in this, then contact is, is really, a, it, it should be a skill that we actually absolutely cherish and develop in kids because contact is a skill within itself. It's not the biggest meathead. That's something I think we need to talk about, too, is that, you know, everybody talks about, well, what kind of skills do you have? Well, I got a great, I run really good routes. I catch the ball. Uh, man, the quarterback's on point. He's got, he throws a good ball. These are skills that people kind of think about. But what about contact skills? It's not just as the biggest guy wins. It's not that, you know, because if that were true, there's some huge guys out there that didn't make it. You know, it's about, and it's not just about athletic ability. It's about, you know, application and skill. So we need to really kind of, I think all kids, all players, regardless of positions, need to learn that on a foundation level before advancing. And I think, it doesn't happen that way. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things we not to go back too far with what we uh, already went into, but when you look at youth football, there's many problems out there. <laughs> Some of the dads, the living vicariously through their eight year old son, it's, it's pretty pathetic. But what's even worse is when you get these guys who think they're like, you know, Bill Belichick Jr. trying to run a complex system that, that first of all, they don't understand, you know, and you got to look at, you, you got to keep it simple. Let's let kids, you know, I would, if I was running a youth league, I'd say, look, we're going to limit it to offensively. We have like two runs or maybe start off with like two, two or three run plays and really just like, let's develop the skills around that that we can advance from there. But it gets so complex that we're, you know, in, in with limited time, you, you don't know what to do. Uh, we have a, an acronym. We teach uh, most of our stuff's in acronyms and we have a skill development tool. It's called SPAT. And this is something that we, had universal adoption with uh, from the NFL down and it's a self-analysis tool it's a skill development tool so it stands for sequence which is the order of steps in a, in a progression so you want to make sure your steps are in order uh, posture 
that's a problem that faces most most players struggle with. Usually, injuries and lack of perform poor performance are related to a poor posture. Uh, placement is the location of the of contact or where you struck the man. Um, angles that's the A. Uh, that is the, the relationship of you and the opponent. Did you take a proper angle? Um, assignment. I added that one because uh, you know the times I've had my knee blown out or ankle blown out or whatever. It's usually related to someone not knowing where they're going. And the last one is timing. Uh, timing is something you can't just. You got You got you to work at that. You know, you when you come to balance and before contact, you know the speed of the closing, uh, the closing speed of an opponent, the proximity. Those are things you have to develop and adjust over time. But those things can be done through drilling. So we use the SPAT acronym to help uh, both players and coaches self-analyze because it's really hard to be objective uh, with yourself when you're watching. And kids that aren't playing at their highest level, they can get frustrated because they don't have the information. Well. This helps them, you know, take accountability for themselves and say, well, if you can isolate the problem and get real clear on that, that, you know, the first step in solving a problem is identifying the problem. So we want to be real clear about where the breakdown is. And that's something we've, we've used to help those, those kids out and, and coaches alike. But, but yeah, this is a universal program. This, this is all for all contacts. So we even teach a, a proper stiff arm for ball carriers, other tackle avoidance techniques. Um, it goes deep. It's, there's so much that you got to know. And I think, unfortunately, many of the, many of the certification programs out there are just kind of a glossed over variety of it. And in football, you got to know a lot of things to be functional and, and effective and stay safe at the same time. So it's a lot of information, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's stuff that's geared the right way. And I think that as the level of knowledge increases, uh, people will start to get into, uh, we'll start getting into more fun things like, you know, once contact occurs, now what do you do? Well, now we, how do you break down the man across from you? There's many ways to do that. So we, we get into advanced training as well, but, but uh, it all starts with contact. You know, if we can get guys to do it the right way and we're going to have better teams, better game, more exciting for fans, uh, and something that can sustain. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, and I, I don't know if it's glossed over. I think that a lot of it's just built on the old framework and, and the framework almost needs to change. Like, yeah, I heard a coach the other day, for example, talk about one of his positions he he had the uh, listed as his title he was the ball security coach and i thought you know that's a that's a great concept you know you have this one language yeah. from the guy being taught to everybody on the team i mean there's there's really a need for a guy to be a contact specialist an offensive contact specialist or a defensive you, contact yeah, specialist. great point what a keith, keith that is a great point because when you see coaches that's again it goes back to the top-down model when you get in a, you know, a bunch of youth uh, dads show up and like, they want to coach football. Well, they're going to assemble a staff, you know, like they would in the NFL. Well, I'm like, you're the offensive coordinator. I'm the D coordinator. We got the guy over here calling plays. And, and it's like, wait, we just need a guy that's, who's the guy that's teaching contact. Well, who's the expert there? Well, they don't have one usually. <laughs> I mean, again, it's not anything to feel bad about. And that's one thing I want to emphasize to people is that even if you're an NFL coach listening to this, pro- this podcast, and, and you're probably sitting there thinking some of the same things, you may not be clear on some of the things you're watching, you know, that's why it's let the players play mentality has gone on, but it's not anybody's fault. That's just the culture. And, and all we're trying to do is say that hey, nobody's wrong here. It's you're not expected to know all these things. I didn't know them when I played. I wish I had, but, but now that we've kind of started to identify things and we continue to evolve, our curriculum will change as we go. I mean, I, I, I hope it does because I want it to continue to, to evolve. And that's all based on, on, fat, on, on, on information. Is it, what is the best and most optimal way to do things? And I feel that um, these things need to become common knowledge. You, you know, you start out with the game. Everybody's clear on, like, there, there are more experts on scheme anymore than there are on technique. There's very few technique specialists out there. No, that's right. Um, but, that's, but that's what people are hungry for. You know, so, so I'm doing a lot of clinics, laser clinics and Nike clinics. And it's not, it's not hard to get on those, those circuits because, you know, if I want to go out and uh, it'd be tough for me to get on there and go, I'm going to tell you about the zone read, you know, well, 
yeah, you and everybody else. We need to talk about how do we execute, and each man on that field that knows how to execute that play or other plays. It's not just about putting a hat on a hat. And in fact, that that terminology is a go too, because we're not really putting a hat on a hat. <laughs> we're getting we're physically blocking people with our hands and or shoulders offensively and defensively. Uh, the, the best control is with the hands, um, sometimes the shoulders as well. And and I think that those are things that need to be kind of proceed. They have to proceed uh, scheme talk, you know and and it has to level up there. And I think that's the only way um, outside of that, you know, you're, you know, everybody out there in, in America is still looking at helmets because it's a shortcut, but it never works. It, they, they will never work. And they've studied these things. And, and I wanted to share one thought on helmets, because for those of you guys that I think it's, it's great, go get, go get a great helmet, but that is not your, that's, that's your backup, you know? And I think the reality is uh, there's something called the Peltzman effect. And it's also known as risk, uh, risk compensation. So when, when people were riding bicycles, you know, uh, People started dying on bikes and a production company came up with a manufacturer came up with a bike helmet and they found that like, you know, you would think that, oh, now that everybody's wearing these helmets that we'd have a reduction in, in uh, tragic, you know, catastrophic injuries or deaths. Well, that would, that's not what happened at all. It actually doubled. It increased significantly, so dramatically. And it was all based on the illusion of safety. And, and that's what's happened with football helmets. We have to, you know, the helmet is, is, ne- is necessary. So anybody that says, well, we should take helmets away. Well, you're asking to change the game. That's not football, American football. You need the helmet. It, it, it does protect you. And I would love to have, I prefer to have that as to not having it. But it's just not our instrument for contact. And that's, and that's the number one key we have to remember. Tying this up, there, there has to be a shift. There's, they're really, I mean, they're tweaks. This is still going to be a tough man's game. Right. I know everybody's worried about, oh, we're, we're really taking the toughness out of the game. I, I think that's BS. I don't even think that's an argument we need to have right now. I mean, the rule changes to me, the targeting, you know, at first I didn't understand it, but, you know, it, it's right. Why should a guy, just because a guy's running, you know, down the field, put, put himself in a, a vulnerable position, why should he get cleaned up? I mean, we're, you know, we're legitimately talking about injuries to the brain where I've seen kids have to drop out of school for a semester because they can't do their work. I mean, right. we shouldn't, you shouldn't have to take on that risk. I don't care how much you're getting paid or what level you're playing at. That should not be a risk of this game. So those rules change, rule changes are good, but we need to look at the equipment we're using. Like we're still tied on those shoots, those boards, those sleds. I mean, even the shields, you know, some of those shields aren't good. Like we were, we're allowed to use just shields in the spring at the division three football level. Well, those did me absolutely no good. So what I did was I outfitted those shields with shoulder pads. So now I had, I had points, you know, my handles in there and, and, you know, guys, we couldn't wear equipment. So we just held those, you know, close up against us. And now we're working more against what it's like, you know, having that, that application to what you're going to do on game day rather than shields probably being, you know, really close to, to the sleds where you're going to get you, your arms outside because there's nothing else to grab but the outside of that shield. And the shield is, in, is, is usually too big as well. So looking at the right. equi- equipment we use and then looking how we practice the game, like really in some ways generalizing a, a period in every practice where you are working on contact and it doesn't need to be yes. coached by position. In fact, it'd probably be better if that's, you know, worked in a, a, I've seen guys do that before, you know, blocking cir- circuits, et cetera. And I think they're on the right track, but at the same time, it's, you know, we're still not necessarily teaching the right thing. So working, you know, your offensive contact period, your defensive contact period, and then you could get into the specifics that work for each position. And I think that's something that we really need to look at as, as coaches, what can we do to make this better? And, you, and that's, if there's been one consistent thing you've talked about, Scott, throughout this whole thing is, asking why to find a better way, to find a safer way, Absolutely. to find a more effective way. 
One thing, yeah, you're right. And, and one thing on that note with the, with the time, because I think everybody can agree that there's little time to do this. And with a complex game like football and all the moving parts, it's harder to get kids ready. But like, look at the military. And we've, you and I have talked about this analogy before where, you know, it's, is it dangerous to shoot guns? Uh, yeah. But, but if you look at our special forces, it can be, it could be very dangerous, but, but combat is extremely dangerous. So it's like saying, well, you can't fire your weapon until combat. And, and I've, I've seen some things like the, 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 uh, the Ivy league has come out and, and, and all their greatness and all their glory and smart as they think they are, they decided to, uh, to eliminate contact uh, practice during the season. And, and I, and I got to say, it's, it's, it's not the right message in my opinion. And these restrictions are actually making the games more dangerous. I swear to you, when I watch television, I don't know if you're seeing this too, but every time I turn on a game, I'm seeing guys getting carted and hauled off. It seems like it's more of a, it's happening more. And maybe it's just the awareness around it uh, because people are paying attention, but the game seems like, it seems like the games are yielding more injuries than, than ever before. And I think that's, that correlates right back to like the lack of preparation, you know, preparation is just critical. You can't cut that part out. And if you, the games will be safer, if you prepare people for them accordingly. And I think the last thing I wanted to say, and this is just a, a, to tie it back into the UFC or the MMA stuff. And this is just like pretty funny to think about. If you took a, a fighter, you took a, a heavyweight boxer or a heavyweight, you know, any, any, any weight, uh, any weight class in fighting and in, in mixed martial arts or boxing. And you decided to train that fighter you know, he's got a fight coming up in six months. And if you train that fighter, like we train in football, so you get him in the weight room, let's get, let's get explosive speed and strength. Let's get mass on, let's build some, some armor and, and you get him on a, on a nutrition diet. You know, it's all about bigger, faster, stronger. Okay. And then about a month before the fight, you introduce, start introducing some technique work like sparring or, you know, some mitt work and then sparring. Well, what do you think is going to happen to that guy in the, when it, when it comes time to fight, he's going to get his ass kicked. I mean, he's going to get in a bad way. Um, so these guys focus all on skill. And, and I broke down some of the, you know, the hours of a given week. If you look at the NFL's work week, uh, an average of about 56 hours of, uh, of, of, tr- of practice and, and meetings and all that stuff, the whole week that's encompassed on the schedule, about 56 hours for a player. Okay. So 20, I think it's 30, about 30% of that time is spent in meetings, only 2%. So, so about 15% is spent in, uh, in, in contact drills or, or live team drills. Okay, then, then only 1% of that time is in individual drills. That's the time when a coach, when a player can work on his skill for his craft. You take that and you kind of flip that around and look at the UFC, it's back. You know, they, they focus on their skills first and that's what protects them and lets them walk out of that cage. So they spend more time drilling. It's all flipped around. Before they even think about, you know, a scheme or an attack or an opponent's skills, they look at themselves. And that's how we have to do this too. And I, it's just off of the time of it, but we have to integrate that in the off season. And I think that's how this, how this gets answered. And, and over time, this will, this will happen, but we just have to do it in, in enough time to where the game hasn't gotten down to the point where, you know, nobody wants to play it because it's, it's flirting with that right now. And I think it's important. And that's why I'm calling to anybody listening to the podcast, you know, if you, you know, I hope that you'd agree, but if you don't, I'm open to feedback, you know, please, please share. Let's talk. Let's have a, an open dialogue. I think it's important that people are starting to share ideas. And then this could be become a real movement where we, the game can save itself. We don't need uh, we don't need administrators to help us with that. They're 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 never good known for doing that. They usually screw things up. So that's 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 what I would like to see from from this. It's truly, everyone listening, you're, it's on us. It's on us as a collective and, and individually. So to to take a look at what we're doing and, and try to advance the game in the right way, and, and we can all we can continue this great game that we all love. Scott, I certainly uh, appreciate everything you shared with us today. And I know we could go on with this and, you know, perhaps we'll have a, have you back on the show again, but what would be the best way for a, whether it's a coach or a player who wants to learn this technique, what's the best way for them to, uh, to get started learning your system? How do they go about that? 
Yeah, you know, you can you guys can reach uh, d- definitely go to our website. We have a, a performance online performance library for video. It's it's a it, you know comprehensive videos, instructional videos, really really well done. We got a ton of drills on there. We got instruction for contact, uh, and we also do on-site training too for guys that want uh, certification programs, and we do advanced training too so for NFL clubs and, uh, and and colleges. But uh, really, at every level uh, we we can work with, and um, we we look forward to it. And hopefully, we can help you guys. Hopefully, this was enlightening for for everyone involved, and we, we want your, we want your feedback too. Scott, really appreciate it. it. Was great as always. Hey, thanks, Keith, for having me on. Thanks again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Definitely wanted to share that one with you from some of our first days that I know a lot of people didn't get a chance to listen to. You just weren't listening back then when the podcast was brand new. So some great info from Scott. As I mentioned, there is a free course on what the guys at Tip of the Spear call force deflection available on CoachTube. I'll put that link as well as the code you should use in the show notes. Also, you could go to tipofthespearfootball.com for more on their resources. I highly recommend them.